Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Okay. We're live. <laughs> Sorry. What a weird today. You okay? <laughs> Hello everybody. Hello to fresh. Oh, what am I saying? Hello to sexy versions of ourselves. Uh, that's what I was trying to say. Hello from the sexy new tile of AWD. Yeah. So, yeah, what we actually, I think you guys would kind of like the journey behind this because when we got our first images taken, we had no idea what we were doing. We like didn't get our makeup done. We had no idea about clothes. We got our like amazing friend who's a really good photographer to come to Grace's house, but because we had no idea of what we wanted, we just had no direction. But she took actually a really great photo, but because we just thought we looked gross. The OGs will remember yeah. our very first photo. It was this like very nice black and white. It was like what was on our mood board for what we wanted the podcast to look like, which was us, I think. We were reading like a Vanity Fair and a something and we had a glass of champagne and we looked semi-serious but also fun. And then because at the time we thought we needed to post a picture of ourselves every single week on Instagram. Very stressful for stuff. For some reason. And, and unnecessary. We asked um, – we asked uh, our friend Ella to take more pictures of us. And then in among those pictures was this like glamazon shot, which you have now all come to know and love, I'm sure. And it's so not us. And we just were obsessed with it. So without even thinking our little pea brains, I think within six no, seconds was like, of seeing I it, it was like, uploaded. I was like, I was like, wow. We did look hot, Who's but it just is, it's like just a random. It just didn't explain the podcast at all. The first image was so much better and more low key. And then we just were stuck with this sexy shot i do kind of i'm happy it exists for like posterity's sake i'm gonna frame it and give it to my children for their birthday or something like i already have a big cardboard cut out of it because we stayed at a hotel one time and they printed it for us the london edition yeah it's on my wardrobe (laughs) (laughs) i mean you were the pizza and a verve 
I still, I do love it. I have a lot of, I have a big soft spot. Now it's gone. It's gone. I feel better about it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> we just got in this headspace where because we knew we had new imagery coming, the old imagery was driving us a little bit mad. You develop um, a lot over a three-year period. That's the thing. We've changed a lot. We're much more grown up and mature, <laughs> and we wanted some imagery that showed that. So welcome to the new shots. Three AWD 3.0. AWD 3.0, and we're accompanying it with a Patreon. Which we're so excited about. This has been, yeah, ages in the making as well. Um, basically, for everyone who subscribes to our Patreon, you all get an extra bonus episode of AWD a week. So it's literally a whole extra episode a, per week. A whole extra episode per week. <laughs> like, I always feel like bonus sounds like it's a little four-minute thing. Oh, no. It's a the same length as normal episodes you're getting per week. Yes, and it's also going to be more fun, yeah. a bit more loose. We're not worrying about um, so much what we have to say because it's public and out there you have to be behind a paywall and in this like very specific community that we know you guys just get it so yeah the yeah the hardcore fans so we basically kind of how you like jardin moments of the week now that's going to extend into a whole other episode and be like slightly more pea brain topics we would say slightly more fun funny us telling a few more Personal stories, saucy tales, being a bit more (laughs) loose lipped about celebs. So that'll be fun. And then on top of that, there's going to be a community element. So you guys can all chat to each other underneath every episode. If you've used Patreon before, you'll know you can comment on each episode. We can also have discussions about upcoming episodes, topics, etc. We can post saying, what do you guys want us to talk about this week? And you can contribute what you want and why you want it or your opinions on things before we do them or give us things that you think we should read or talk about and then meet other people in the AWD community which has obviously been like it's hard to do with Instagram and all that stuff that used to happen in the Facebook group like reading recs and like movies and all that stuff people can share and also we're going to do more bonus interview episodes so we have two lined up already they're going to go behind the Patreon two incredible women that we've spoken to recently and then on top of that we're going to do other bonus bits and bobs which we don't want to give too much away yet, but one that I'm very excited about is we're going to be answering listeners like love questions. So we're going to basically yeah. be agony aunts, your advice columnists, but yeah. all behind the Patreon. So we are very excited. The first episode is live now, mm-hmm. same time as this one. So you can sign up. It's patreon.com forward slash drinks. We promise we won't do this every week, but it's in our bios and you guys can see us there. We just want to take a minute as well to explain why we're launching a Patreon because it's something we've thought a lot about and done in quite a considered way. We're obviously aware of the fact that asking Alison is for money is something that we don't take very lightly. We're very inspired by, as two people who worked in traditional media for a long time, we're very inspired by the Substack Patreon generation where people are basically being given freedom to explore topics and have conversations on their own terms when you're trying to grow a podcast where you're relying on advertising for money there's a incentive to go as wide reaching and mainstream and commercial as possible because the more ears you get on it the more uh, payments you get per episode from advertisers and that's how it grows but for us we're very interested in having very specific conversations that I think don't necessarily appeal to everyone and which is why we love our community so much. 
But in order to keep doing what we're doing and to make it a profitable thing for us so that we're not like scrambling to fit in all other work to do it, you know, we need to work within this new system of basically being like compensated by our listeners to create the stuff that you want to hear from us. It just makes the relationship free of all of the kind of old school commercial advertising stuff. Yeah. I remember when people started launching Substacks and they were writing really, really amazing, incredible content on there, like Mm -hmm. such long form essays that have obviously clearly been researched, clearly taken up their whole week. And I was like, I just didn't have my, my head just wasn't around it because obviously we've grown up in this era where it's like, mastheads mean so much yeah and i was just like wow why are these really really great writers not pitching this like these ideas would obviously get picked up and i couldn't get my head around it and then i realized they were doing it because they're monetizing off it which means they can write it in the way they want to write it they're writing it to the people that want to hear it Mm -hmm. and they're not having to worry about these major big corporations with editing and changing things and for example with our podcast sometimes we have to watch what we say in case of advertisers or we just have to be a bit more like paired back than we want to be um Mm -hmm. which you guys I feel like you've had so many snippets of us just being like ridiculous and then sometimes we'll just be way more serious for a while (laughs) it's because like yeah it's a money it is like a business and we've been conflicted obviously as well because you can see that if you kind of go for a very specific take on things to a specific audience and cover specific topics with the hope that it's going to get you like these sudden injections of followers. It's like, it's like anything It's being like an Instagram influencer or whatever to try and stay true to what you actually want to create often means you're curating a smaller, but more engaged audience. And that's a kind of a decision we made where we're like, no, we really want to tap into the people that get us. Yeah. And so for us, this just makes so much more sense because it's like fostering the AWD community and it's, it's also, freedom. it's also, <laughs> it's also so exciting. Like I'm like just saying that agony aren't like love line ips that are going to come up, uh, going to be really, really fun. We're going to get you guys to send in your own questions and we're going to answer them out loud. Yeah, it'll just be like a fun little club. It's like how Clubhouse exists. It's like we're going to create a little clubhouse where it's just all the little. So there's two tiers, Jada and Pea Brain. <laughs> and <laughs> Pea Brains for like the ultimate Pea Brains that are like I just need. Yeah, and there's merch coming. The mer- Yeah, we're really excited about the merch. Okay, anyway. Anyway, so end. yeah, patreon.com slash afterworkdrink. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can find it in our Instagrams. And, and leave us a review saying we look sexy in our new pictures. Yes. Please. <laughs> I don't care about anything else to do with the content. Okay, let's get into it. For all you um, plebs that aren't paying. <laughs> yeah. Cheapskates. Yeah, you cheapskates. We've already wasted 10 minutes of your time. <laughs> you don't get any extended eps anymore, bitches. Okay, I have to. I know we talked about this exact thing last year, and I'm going to probably expand on this in our later episode, but... yeah. Casa Amor on Love Island just happened again. I know for sure that there are AWD listeners that listen to Love Island and I need you all like to be in my DMs. Usually I don't mean that, but this time I do. Okay. Because it's just such a crazy show. So this this season was quite boring at the start. Grace just said she wanted to try and catch up. And I was like, Zach, Zach. Izzy was like, there's 500 episodes. You can't. You, you can't. can't. I, I had to just skip about 10 of them and jump on head first. So the boys have gone, went away to Casa Amor, which for anyone who hasn't watched Love Island before, 
honestly stay with this conversation because it doesn't it doesn't even have that much about Love Island. It's more about just men and women in general and mm. how different we are as beings. Because they go away to this island, six new girls come in, and mm-hmm. there's six boys. In the main villa where the girls stay, where the six girls stay, six boys come in. Every single year, without fail, the girls are loyal to their boys. Mm-hmm. They miss them. They talk about them all the time. They shut down the other guys and just, like, be friends with them. Mm-hmm. Especially this year, but, like, every year, the boys go off as if it's this lad's holiday where they're going to just go and hook up with people and have fun. And then they completely, like, they're, I'm like, what is a pea brain but evil? Um. Like a raisin brain? <laughs> Or something. Because I'm like one, like some of them in particular, I'm like, you guys are just, you're not even just pea brains. You're literal like no, it's evil like, idiots. Yeah. Um, and they all go away. And then, for example, like they rock each other up. So this one cute guy, Liam, clearly wanted to stay loyal to his gorgeous girl back in the villa, Millie. And then this hot thought called Lily, her name's a rhyme, um, it's like a is coming on to him. And all the boys are like, even though they're all friends with Millie, literally they're all her mates. They all just start egging him on to hook up with this random girl. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, okay then, and kisses her. And then he comes home and instantly he's like, what have I done? And I was like, why did you have to do the thing to realize that the thing and is Millie's bad? really upset. She's really upset. She's crying. She's heartbroken. She can't believe he's done that to her. And then all the other stupid boys are like, oh yeah, we like Millie. Sorry. I don't know why we told him to do that. We're so stupid. And I'm like... How? Obviously, why would women trust men when you see this shit? Yeah, I have an interesting thing to weirdly contribute to this topic, which is that I was listening to an old This American Life episode about testosterone because obviously there's like new renewed conversations about it because of the Olympics this year, which is a really fascinating and not uncontroversial topic in and of itself. But this episode, which has not aged particularly well because they're all like testing their testosterone levels in the office and all this stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I don't have enough nuance to understand exactly how I feel about all of that. But they were talking to this amazing trans man who was explaining how his thought processes changed the longer he was taking tea, testosterone. And he said that before he transitioned, when he looked at women that he was attracted to on the subway or on the street, a kind of narrative played in his mind that was like, I wonder what she's, what she likes, or I bet she likes these kind of movies, or imagine if we walked up to each other and bumped into each other and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like or, you have like a, a, fa- a fairy tale about A them fairy and, tale um, thing yeah. that's like, a, a, yeah, the best way to describe it is a narrative. It's a story in your head about them. Mm. And he said that the longer he was on testosterone, he noticed this thing happen in his brain where when he saw a woman he was attracted to, the narrative slowly went and what came in was like a almost cinematic flash of imagery and it was often sexual imagery. And when he saw a woman, he said, I could see something like her ankle or her clavicle or just something really small and it would it would flood my brain with these sexual images that had no narrative or story to them. And I would just get like super horny. That's so crazy. And it's so interesting slash scary, but interesting because he was basically just saying that, and again, I'm not a scientist. I don't know the details of this, but there is kind of literature about the way like heightened levels of testosterone can affect the way you behave and the way your brain functions. Mm. And it's really interesting talking about this, which is obviously like, 
Yeah, hyper testosterone, hyper T, and then men hyping each other up in this pack mentality, and it makes you lose this like sense of storytelling about people's feelings and like yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was watching it and I was like, how on earth? And it's like so clear that none of them, or like Liam kept kind of thinking about Millie, like he kept being like, oh, I, I like worry about Millie, and then he'd walk back into the room and all the boys would be jumping around in circles like animals, being like. Who cares? Rah, rah, rah. And then they all just forget. And I was like, that's so wild because that just never would happen with women. Like, we just, I just genuinely think, like, it's so different between the sexes. And that, like, obviously, I know some women cheat on men and blah, blah, blah. But I just mean, like, the actual, like, headspace of it is quite crazy. And and it's also interesting this idea that it can be tied to the levels of testosterone that you have because obviously a lot of women can have higher levels of testosterone. So I think there's like links between certain behaviors mm. that are considered masculine between like the levels of testosterone that women have. It's a minefield. And obviously there's like some controversy around that because obviously when we're talking about trans identity, people see talking about estrogen and testosterone in these binary ways as enforcing, you know, strict gender rules or whatever. But yeah, it's very like complicated. So there's this one boy called Toby, and that's why I was thinking <laughs> about a, yeah. Raisin Brain, because he's just evil. But he basically was going out with this girl called Kaz. Then he ditched her for a girl called Chloe. Then when this other thotty cute girl called Abby came in, ditched her for Abby. And then he went to Casa Amor and bought back a girl called Mary. And, wow. then he, and then he got back and was like, I think I still like Abby. And then this episode ended today and it was like coming up tomorrow. And then you see Toby sitting there and he goes, oh, you know, I don't know about Mary and Abby, but I think I actually, my heart's with Chloe <laughs> and everyone in the whole nation. Like he, his name was trending on Twitter because oh everyone was just like, who is this absolute like idiot? He's and, just screamed at. Yeah. And all of the, um, like all of the tweets are just like, I know Cartoon Network just plays in Toby's head constantly. <laughs> and someone goes, at this point, if Toby manages to pull it off and get back with Chloe, just give him the 50K and cancel the show. And someone else was like, I fully 180'd on Toby. He's perfect. One of the most reliably unhinged people I've ever come across in my entire life. <laughs> and I put a photo of him in there so you can see Yeah, him. I like it. I get, I get good vibe from him. I know. He's just like, he's yeah. got one brain cell. And he's yeah. like, there's so many pretty girls and I don't know which one I like. <laughs> and the host keeps giving him so much shit. Oh wow! Yeah. I definitely need to yeah watch this. It's good. I like get on the cross trainer and <laughs> go for it. Go for it. <laughs> Amazing. On a Monday morning at eight a.m., my boyfriend was like, "It's illegal to start a Monday watching Love watching Island." The- <laughs> You're like, it absolutely it's like, is not. Dun, 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 coming from the other room at like eight in the morning. <laughs> you powering away on the elliptical. Yeah. So I have a recommendation that's slightly more highbrow than yours. (laughs) The Atlantic just ran an op-ed written by Amanda Knox. Wow. Of Amanda Knox fame. (laughs) (laughs) And she's criticizing a movie called Stillwater that Matt Damon and Abigail Breslin are in. And it's based off her story, her life Mm. story. And the director told Vanity Fair that it's based off the Amanda Knox story, but she hasn't been – she wasn't asked for permission. She's not making any money off of it. And now there's this whole promotional circuit where she's saying, like, all these media outlets are making money off Watch Matt Damon's Amanda Knox movie and her name's trending everywhere again and everyone's talking about it again. so crazy for saying that. 
I do think that happens a lot though. Like I right. do think it's not that uncommon for people to be like, oh yeah, it's, it's you know, roughly based on Monica Lewinsky or it's roughly, mm. it's always. Yeah, based on something. Based on, and a lot of the time it's based on stories with young women who are very unlikely to fight back or whatever, I guess. Kind of like Pamela Anderson. It's like crazy that Pamela Anderson's show is being made and she can't do anything about it. Yeah, and, and um, she's not happy. And she's not happy. Well, and this Amanda Knox piece, she's a really good writer and she basically wrote about how every time this stuff gets back in the news, there's just this brand new spate of hatred towards her, debates about her life as she's she finally gets used to some semblance of normality and then it's all in the media again mm. and she's the first thing trending on Twitter and everyone's suddenly like watching all the documentaries and talking about it again. And Do how, you think we should yeah. quickly just say, I, I feel like everyone knows who she is, but maybe if people have forgotten. I, I feel like I just vaguely knew who she was until really recently. I was like, oh yeah, Amanda Knox, but didn't know yeah. the details. So she, I haven't looked this up in years, but she she was in Italy and she was living with a housemate and they became friends. And then her housemate, Meredith Kircher, was brutally murdered at their house. And then basically, she's British, did I just say that? And basically, people thought, for like no reason, there was no evidence or anything, but people thought Amanda Knox had done it to her housemate, Meredith. And the British press just went absolutely crazy. So the British press were like digging up things about her sex life and like pulling all this crazy stuff up in the media that then convinced like the whole world that Amanda Knox had killed Meredith. And the Italian authorities kind of latched. They were very useless, useless and unprofessional. And they kind of latched onto this Amanda Knox theory very early on because of completely bizarre stuff. Like I think her and her boyfriend were spotted kissing outside the house a few hours after the murder. And that was considered to be evidence that she was, unfeeling or or Mm. like just very bizarre things they were all so young when it happened they were like 19 I think Amanda Knox was 19 or 20 and Meredith Kircher was 21 and there was just this super obsession with Amanda Knox because she's attractive and Meredith Kircher was attractive and it was in Italy and it was these young women and they came up with all these theories of like it was a threesome gone wrong or it was a sex thing or and all this this horrible stuff when the man who actually killed Meredith Kircher, Rudy Guede, Guede or Guede, I'm not sure how you say his name. They were on him from the start. Like his boot prints were in the house. His DNA was on her body. There was evidence that he'd been in the house. And they tried to basically put uh, Amanda Knox in with him, even though he was someone that had been caught like burgling houses with knives. Yeah, three had, like, separate no, times. Nothing to do sorry, with her. Three separate times in the past, and basically, yeah, Amanda Knox was turned into this like insane media sensation layer story, and it took her ten years to get out of jail. Yeah, and now, yeah, the media called her Foxy Noxy because people in the jail were leaking, were stealing, and leaking her private diary entries to the press, and they would talk about. She'll talk about stuff to do with sex or missing sex or something, and that would be like turned into this thing against her. So she's basically written this piece about who owns her name, who owns her story, mm. who owns her image, and it's I guess kind of reminiscent of that Emily Ratajkowski yeah, story in a certain way, where it's like we just think I don't know. It's just crazy how the media works. We just think we're entitled to tap into this stuff, but at the same time, I guess if you're a filmmaker that story is so fascinating and interesting and taps into so many like cultural things 
that if you're purely just looking from the sense of your own creative pursuits, it is a very interesting story. And if you're an actor like Matt Damon or Abigail Breslin and you read that script, you're like, wow, I want to play these characters because this is interesting. Yeah. If there's no legal thing stopping you, it's just a moral question. Yeah. It's like kind of hard. I know. Even just like with the Jacinda Ardern movie and how Rose Byrne was going to play her and everyone was like, pull out. And Rose Byrne's like, I just got cast as Jacinda. I know. I want to play the Prime Minister. (laughs) Yeah, it's quite wild. I'm really interested to read that piece because I love Amanda Knox. I can't believe she was in prison for 10 years. It's just so being bad. like, I clearly didn't murder my housemate. Like, what the fuck? It's just so crazy. And then in the comments, even I think on the Atlantic, I saw they posted it on Instagram. I think it was. And everyone in the comments were like, buy a story. She's a killer. Or blah, yeah, blah, people blah. still think people, yeah, people still fully think that yeah. just because they heard it vaguely somewhere yeah. once. It's just it's so bizarre. And it's also so. F- crazy how that can happen but then also people can just get away with murder so i'm like watching this really bad netflix show at the moment called the serpent have you seen it like popping up i've seen it on the home page i just got sucked in and it's about a true story of this guy who lived in bangkok in the 70s and he was a gym dealer but he would just murder he would literally started drugging people and stealing their stuff and then he just started murdering them like drugging them and then murdering them and stealing their belongings and stealing their passports and like traveling on their passports and stuff Mm. Um, all through the 70s. Jenna Coleman plays his wife. Oh, I like her. Yeah, she's really cool. And then I'm like not at the end yet, but at the start of the show, it shows real footage of a journalist being like, did you murder a whole bunch of people? And he was like, well, the authorities said I didn't. And I was like, oh, my God. It's so obvious. Like, when you're watching it, you're just like, this is so crazy. I know. This is what's so bothersome is, like, because – who was I uh, – I was talking to my cousin about this on the weekend. I was staying at her house, and we were saying that how bad the true crime thing is now. We were like, if we watch a TV show or start reading a book, like, she reads a lot of crime books, if the person murdered as a man, you're, like, boring. <laughs> Mm. Do you know what I, it's like how messed up I don't know if you've ever had that sensation but I've had a feeling watching not true crime but crime shows where if the murder victim at the start is a middle aged guy I'm like oh, just don't care I'm not going to stick yeah. around for this because yeah. so, we're just so used to men murdering women in popular culture and in life it's so horrible so it's like we're not even interested by men killing anymore so the idea of a woman killing is so much more interesting to us so we'll fake the media yeah. circus around it because people are just so obsessed by that idea Especially a woman killing another woman. Yeah. Yeah, because that so like never ever really. happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, so crazy, the statistics of it. Yeah. It's um, it's like men. I think there was something like men are murdered a, a similar amount that to women are, but like mm-hmm. by other men. It's by just other like men. always men yeah, murdering women and men. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. But yeah, I would recommend reading that piece. I think it's super interesting. And then the Amanda Knox doc on Netflix. I think it's Netflix. Yeah. So it's really good if you haven't seen the story it's a bizarre story yeah it's it's like weird how everyone knows that story whether they know yeah. it or not it's like the kardashians it's the, it's like her name's just in your even like us being in australia and new zealand like i don't even know how i know amanda knox but i know amanda knox it's the um british press yeah they interview this like dirtbag news of the world guy it's like yeah we didn't care if you did it or not it was just a great story i was like oh, yeah and he was like riding a motorbike 
like all dirtbags do. <laughs> cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save forty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so on to another Netflix show. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. Called My Unorthodox Life. So this has been just trending recently. It's basically a new reality show about this former Orthodox Jew who left the Jewish community age 41. She, she wasn't allowed to – she had no job and made no money, so she was secretly saving money for eight years or something Mm -hmm. so that she could leave her husband and she left the community and then moved to New York and then she became a bazillionaire somehow. They like gloss over all that. She's a CEO of elite models worldwide. Like every model is with them. It's crazy. It's crazy. And she was like, and then I became the creative director of La Perla. And I was like, what, when, what? She had no like training, no education. She Lift. She made those like stripper heels. Her family, <laughs> everyone she knew, and then yeah, yeah, made some stripper heels, and then the stripper heels got picked up everywhere, and then La Perla approached her. So then she went on as like the top person, and then now she's at Elite Model Management. It's very random. And then was made the CEO of Elite. It, it, it's all just vague as fuck, like yeah. her career trajectory. Mm. But it's so impressive. She's <laughs> yeah. so rich. Yes, her kids. And then she married that like yeah. cute random man. And when yeah. she married him, so when she left her husband and the jewish community she changed her name to hart so julia hart is like her new last name because it's her freedom name and then her cute jade husband took on her freedom name when they got married yeah i i love that i her, love that i mean take my own freedom name a freedom name is super cute mm. but i do want to wait we'll get to this later so love julia hart i get good vibes off of her she's like nice mom energy she's a modeling agent but she like goes to lengths to be a real muffin to the models. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's all for show. Bridget Malcolm's in the second episode. I saw that. Yeah, which is yeah. super – Bridget Malcolm's an Australian model who was really on the rise as – I think it was a little bit before you got to Australia, but, like, really when yeah, I started yeah. in media, she was everywhere. So yeah. I've interviewed her, like, seven times. Yeah, I've interviewed she was her always, too, and she's yeah. so lovely. She's gorgeous. She's from Perth. Yes. Perth gal. And she – um did Victoria's Secret and was kind of everywhere and has now kind of broken ranks with the industry and is very outspoken and honest about how messed up the industry is on TikTok and Instagram. So you should follow her. But she was on an episode and she was talking to Julia about, I mean, 
Some of it's stretched belief. She's like, oh, this photographer made me pose naked when I didn't want to. And the CEO of one of the biggest modeling agencies in the world is like, what? No, that's crazy. Who is he? <laughs> and yeah, she's like, oh my God, I've never heard of that. I've never heard this happen before. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. darling. She's like, we need to fix this industry up and we need to fix it stat. I was I like, know. okay. So in that sense, a lot of it, if, if it's a weird show because it feels very staged a lot yeah they seem to be trying to be a cut the new kardashians yeah so it's like julia lift the it's called yeah called my unorthodox life so it's very much about her leaving the jewish community the un, like the orthodox orthodox yeah. jewish community yeah she says she's yeah still jewish yeah um whereas her youngest daughter is now atheist and her other daughter is still quite strict with her jewish faith so it's like they talk about judaism a lot in it as well and then they also follow her daughters and her sons as they go on dates and then they also follow the modeling stuff yeah it's really it's a very interesting show i think firstly i don't know when they started filming it but i feel like it almost wouldn't have existed if unorthodox hadn't come out last year yeah because i know for both of us we were really shocked by that TV show Unorthodox that was also a Netflix show that was a really well-done prestige TV show about escaping from the Orthodox Jewish community. And I think that most people didn't realize that there was parts of Judaism that were that kind of fundamentalist still operating in like the United States, for example, Mm. where women have to shave their heads and wear wigs. They can't expose their necks. They can't expose their ankles. They're not allowed to get education. They're not allowed to do a lot of activities that men are allowed to do, et cetera, et cetera. Can't make money. I think that that was really surprising and shocking and interesting to people. So I think that this show has really thrived off the back of that. But I will say having only seen three episodes, and I know that you've read some think pieces on this, but it does – offer a pretty like black and white view of religion and there's this like very binary thing of her thinking religion is restrictive and bad and terrible and brainwashing and not good and also I think what's really interesting that I'm sure you would have like been interested into is her version of breaking free from religion is becoming like obsessed with capitalism mm. like she's 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 like bowing down to the altar of like money because everything in her life is like money 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 and it's almost this weird thing where the good life the moral life is going and making money and the freedom to have all of this expensive stuff that's so true and when she that. goes when she goes back to her life with her youngest son who still lives with his father they live in this very like nice modest home and there's a lot of conversation about like community and all of, you know what i mean it's like yeah, that's so true. Its view of it seems kind of not nuanced to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's obviously been a huge rise in anti-Semitism, which we've talked about recently on the pod. So it's kind of a bit jarring and like a lot. So in quite a few scenes that I've seen, the family does have quite nuanced conversations in terms of where they're all at with their faith and I really Mm -hmm. love that they all accept each other and they all kind of talk through it and those are when the conversations about Judaism are kind of yeah more interesting and more nuanced because Mm -hmm. you're actually hearing from different sides of it but when you're hearing Julia just speak to the camera she says things like they're dangerous she calls her young son's religious behavior super loony she kind of just constantly talks about how restrictive and how horrible it was for her which is obviously her experience, but at the same time it's painting this whole, 
like community or this whole religion is, is like one woman's experience which isn't how all women would feel and like this girl wrote this really good piece on glamour and she's Jewish and she was talking about how she used to feel really sorry for orthodox Jewish women and she used to think they were restricted and she used to think that they you know had no other option and rah 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 and then she met a whole bunch of them and realized that like they felt sorry for her because the same thing that what you're saying is the way we live is viewed as bad by a lot of people like the capitalist being obsessed with capitalism being obsessed with money being really individually minded like no community Mm mm-hmm Yeah, no, it's so interesting. And I think I was trying to think about it in terms of like, obviously in my brain, this show could not exist about the Muslim community, but it, I was thinking about, I, in my mind, a show like this couldn't exist about the Muslim community because I think that the way she talks, like the, the way that would be seen as the demonization of Muslims, Jewish people. The way she talks about fundamental Judaism, if you had a show like this for someone that left the fundamental Muslim community and then was wearing super short outfits and told all their kids they couldn't be part of it and was like, that place is brainwashing you. I think Netflix, for example, would choose not to run that because they'd be so scared of fueling anti-Islam sentiment. Mm. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I just can't see that show existing. Yeah, I can't see the show existing. I also can't see... They're not being huge backlash. Huge to backlash it. to it, and it feels like with this, like you just said, it's at anyone who said I've decided to leave, you know, the the Muslim community because I found it restrictive, and now I'm wearing, you know, short little outfits and making heaps of money on my own, and blah 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 blah, and therefore I think that their entire community is bad or brainwashed. You would think, well. No, we all understand it's more complicated than that. Like we all understand that a lot of women who decide to dress modestly or who grow up in in certain cultural backgrounds to frame them all as being oppressed or all as being brainwashed just is ignoring their voices and not actually allowing them to speak in that context. And it Mm. kind of a little bit feels like that with this show where as interesting as I find it because I love – I love hearing reality TV that tackles stuff like this because I think it's so much more interesting than the Kardashians. Like the Kardashians, I think, I think part of the reason the Kardashians left is because they saw the writing on the wall that their style of reality TV is getting a little stale. And I think you've seen the same thing with Real Housewives of New York, for example, where they've tried to make this new season very political and engaged with Black Lives Matter and it's got terrible viewing figures because everyone just feels like they've got like whiplash because they're like, wait, whoa, 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 this whole show is like disgusting and now we're getting schooled every week on white fragility and microaggressions and stuff and it's like it is on one hand obviously great to be educating this specific viewership on that but also people are saying it's just sucked any of the original style of the Mm. show out it feels Mm. like a completely different show and I think people are confused about how to do this light fluffy entertainment and also tap into political conversations yeah so in that way i feel like this show is great because it's the show that's trying to straddle those two things and is somewhat doing it successfully and the whole thing with like the husband how the husband's like in our religion women shouldn't wear pants and now she's wearing pants and i'm struggling with that but i'm trying to get my head around it and then the mum's saying don't tell her what to wear don't tell her what to do with her body but then the wife is saying no, it's okay that he's struggling with it. It's okay that it's taking him a minute. We're working through it together as a couple because we're negotiating our religion in the 21st century or whatever. All that stuff's much more interesting to watch than Kylie Jenner buying another Birkin or something. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. as someone who's never watched the Kardashians. I know. I'm assuming, I'm like, I'm assuming that's what they do. They don't, yeah, yeah, they, don't they don't know anything, but yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So I'm like, I, I think it's very interesting in the sense of like what reality TV is going to do going forward. 
It's mm. obviously not perfect. And I think there's like, yeah, a lot of different elements to it. It just seems like there's a very like black, I don't know, maybe it isn't black and white because the kids will have different opinions. But yeah, it's just it's not have... giving me like the only person who you see who's in that community properly is her 14-year-old son and he's like, I can't watch TV because I'll go to hell. And you're like, is that literally what everyone in that community genuinely thinks? And even when they go to the supermarket and she's in that little outfit and she's like, mm. you could never wear this outfit at the supermarket. And then she goes to the supermarket and just no one bats an eyelid. Yeah, like it just yeah, nothing yeah. happens and no one yeah. cares. And then yeah. she's like uh, talking about the daughter. Oh my god, your dad's going to be so angry if you change your name. And then he's like, I understand. And then she's like, I'm a lesbian. And the dad's like, I understand. And I'm like, okay, are they really this fundamental or not? Or are you playing it up? You know, yeah. when you not even playing it up, it's like when you've had that experience, you can't see it changing Clearly, because yeah. you you feel so emotionally attached to like a certain thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting how reality TV is changing. I, I didn't find the show super – I just wasn't super hooked in, but I think that just happens when you meet a new family. You're like, I don't care. And then by episode seven, I'll probably I'll probably care what that silly little care. cute bi girls who she's dating. But at the moment, I'm like, I don't care about your stupid coffee dates. Yeah, I know. I wasn't super hooked either. I was more interested in it from like a – Yeah. Just a thing that exists. Yeah. Perspective. Okay, should we move on to some interesting drama that's been happening on the mm, interwebs? Brewing. That's been brewing since we last – I can't remember when we talked about Garant Store. Was it last week or the week before? It might have been the week before. So she is – we talked about her as being an influencer who had kind of been jetting around during COVID and um, it was particularly interesting because she kept coming in and out of New Zealand, which – um, has really, really strict COVID measures, obviously, but also um, the hotel facilities are fucked. So, like, I can't get home till January at the very least if I wanted to because the hotel, the hotels are just so booked up, basically. And there was, like, a big Guardian piece on that last week. And Ensemble Magazine wrote this big piece speaking about Grant's door and, like, you know, what's going on and Diet Prada shared it, so it kind of went viral and then Alexandra Schulman, who is the former editor of British Vogue for 20-something years, wrote an op-ed in the Daily Mail, basically having a go at this ensemble piece and saying that this new breed of media is mean and bitchy. And she also brought up the cutting room floor, the Leandra Medine interview. Um, so... It was quite funny because she called Ensemble a small online magazine and called The Cutting Room Floor a podcast with a relatively small but engaged audience. I was like, how do you know these stats? Like you're just making that up out of your ass. Yeah. And then it was just basically saying that, you know, with the rise of social media, everyone thought that things were going to be more inclusive and we're going to have more representation and it was going to be this great new era of media. But basically what Alexandra Schulman was saying is the reality has turned out to be a quote dog eat dog world where at least in the fashion and lifestyle arena where I worked the hundreds of bloggers influencers and podcasters are often proving to be cannibals with ferocious appetites each new generation eagerly devouring the previous at the earliest opportunity so she's basically saying that yeah new media just wants to kind of cancel everyone and be really ferocious and rude and horrible and tear people down whereas old media didn't. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, I'm not surprised that this is her opinion because yeah. it's, it seems like 
there's just been this huge generational divide between her generation and our generation specifically. I mean, that is a bit of a gap because she's in her 60s, but I think of it as one generation, like our boss's generation and us feels like a very, very big gap in terms of our views of the role of accountability on the internet and like cancellation, so-called cancellation culture and all of this stuff. So I'm not surprised it's her opinion. I think it's funny, which is what we both said when we read this, that she obviously feels like brave and courageous or something like going after these publications that she said are tiny publications as a person as famous and influential as she is on the Daily Mail. Also and she on thinks the she's Daily like flying Mail. the flag of, you know, fighting for the little guy in the way she talks about yeah, it. Yeah, but it's also like doing something on the Daily Mail or criticizing people for like tearing other people down. It's like the worst publication for it. Yeah, it's like doing it on literally the Daily Mail. On yeah, like Pierce yeah, Morgan's yeah. show, but yeah. like the Daily Mail is literally worse. I know it's really funny. I think there is that kind of lack of awareness, which again relates to a lot of things we've talked about in terms of we were talking about Sarah Shulman's book Conflict is Not Abuse and about how she explores how people that are invested in seeing themselves as like victims or put upon or oppressed in some way really struggle to see when they're then powerful. And I do think with white women, as we've talked about as well, of a specific age, that extends to them where they're so used to seeing themselves as victims in certain workplaces that they can't see themselves as being extremely powerful in other places. And in this sense, it's like, yeah, I, I, it's interesting to me that someone with that platform is picking niche independent publications and podcasts and talking about them as if they're like juggernauts of media. I know, but it's also just funny because I find even – even what she's saying to just be so wrong because I'm like, what? So you're you're saying that Rach Rachel shouldn't have published this interview with Leandra, yeah, or publish it maybe in the way she did, which is like contextualize it and you know say yeah. say you know she shouldn't have said the anti-Semitic things she said, which she's now cut. But like, but she doesn't even go into that. She's just so no. Vague. She, she's she just, I think oh, does she, she does right. I think she does. She does mention it in the Daily Mail piece. Okay, but um, she she shouldn't. Like, I'm, I'm like, are you saying that these things shouldn't exist where we're holding people accountable for their actions? Are you just literally, you just you just don't think, like Garant's door, that there should be any coverage about the fact that she's spreading anti-vax rhetoric and traveling the world during COVID and posting it everywhere. You just think that she should not be held accountable at all. It's funny as well, actually, because, yeah, like you say, it's she's not criticizing the mob mentality that can obviously like we don't live in yeah. a thing we know that yes. can happen on instagram like she's not criticizing their response to these things she's criticizing the people creating the work in yeah. the first place which is so crazy which is so crazy because i guess she's kind of insinuating that those places are like purposefully dog whistling to a crowd for a mob attack to get themselves as small publications more of an audience there's obviously something to be said for the fact that when you're starting out there is this feeling of if I tap into something or touch something, I could like make it big by hitting like a cultural nerve. And there's no doubt that like Rachel or probably lesser to an extent ensemble, because you just never know with these pieces. Like there's so many pieces well, that I mean, just like, don't go anywhere. For example, on, ensemble has done really great investigative reporting. Like they did the mm. lonely lingerie piece we talked about. So yeah. they, they, they are tapping into things that, yeah. people talk about and they become moments but that's just I feel like that's clever reporting it's clever reporting and it's doing their job by like spotting areas that traditional media aren't going into mm. and doing it in like a very yet yeah, respectable intelligent way 
I do think that it's a shame that, you know, this old guard of media still continue to see this new guard as like threats as opposed to trying to come around and understand the perspective because it would be really fucking helpful if they did. And yeah. and they could also offer a nuanced take on it that could actually be engaging and interesting to us. Like I think that if you're someone that's had 25 years experience with print media and you can look at these situations, really read into them, really engage with them in like a good faith way and then say, okay, these outlets, are, what they're doing is very smart. They're doing really great work, but it is dog whistling to a certain type of person or they should go to a further extent to make sure that these people don't get piled on afterwards because it undermines the value of their work if the people that they're targeting then come out as victims or blah, 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 blah. blah. There would be a way to do that would that would actually be an interesting take. But I think someone like Alexandra Shulman, for example, I think is obviously speaking from a certain experience she's had as a person where she left British Vogue was criticized because in her editor's letter, she put up a photo with her team of 54 people and every single person was white. Instead of engaging with that when she was interviewed by The Guardian afterwards, she said some like questionable quotes about, I don't believe in positive discrimination and I can't help if no one was applying and all of this quite like rough stuff. I think she feels like she's being egregiously victimized Mm. by this cancel culture and she's kind of like letting that out on yeah these publications for this piece it's not coming from a purely like i'm interested in this topic way but i guess what do you expect if it's on the daily mail yeah and again it's that annoying thing where it's like just sit back and instead of thinking everyone's attacking you think about why that is and yeah and and the era you grew up at like she could have written a really incredible response to that Mm -hmm. instead of going in the guardian and and like trying to put her get her back up about it and think she's being bullied and attacked again this victim mentality she could have written a really incredible response about like growing up in the media the way she did the classism that exists in the uk her being an editor for so long like how wrong it was that they did do that that they did discriminate against people so zoe actually i don't think i said her last name but zoe walker our she's great i know her from new zealand but she wrote a reply on ensemble which is really interesting. And she basically talks about the fall of her media idols. So she talks about how when she was growing up, um, Zoe's worked in in the media for years in New Zealand. She used to have a really successful blog back in the day, which was covered on The Guardian. And she's been at heaps of different publications. And then she launched Ensemble last year when Bauer failed. So she used to be at Fashion Quarterly. Mm -hmm. And then she launched Ensemble. Zoe wrote about how it's just been like this crazy time when she used to look up to Leandra Medine, she used to look up to Alexandra Shulman, and she used to look up to Hadley Freeman, who's a Guardian journalist, and that in the past few years, all of them have just shown themselves to be quite delusional, quite out of touch. Hadley Freeman, I actually had no idea that she's like supported J.K. Rowling and posted all this weird turf stuff. Leandra obviously like being fired and all, all this stuff, and then Alexandra Shulman again, and... She was just saying that, you know, continuing to kind of, yeah, cement yourself in this position of being like, this is the right way, this then and you're doing the wrong way is just, yeah, it's just kind of like digging your own grave in a way. Yeah, and it's it's I think it comes from that. I was listening to a really really great interview with Vanessa Kingori, who's the publisher of British Vogue now. And like post Alexandra Shulman with Edwin Enenfall, she's very young. She's like really amazing and inspirational. And she was basically saying that when her and Edward started, which was at the same time, they had this conversation about how 
the biggest thing that was holding magazines back was this obsession with the hierarchy. So like Mm. oldest editors know best, youngest editors know fuck all and don't say anything and that's the system and no one deals with it. And she was basically saying that the biggest reason brands had failed to monetize digital was because digital talent, which we know firsthand, tend to be young. Print talent tend to be older. Older people in that old hierarchy system automatically assume young people are stupid and don't know anything and have no interest in what they have to say. And that conflict was meaning that brands were missing out on the opportunity to make a bazillion dollars at a time where they desperately needed to like make more money because it wasn't even they were scared of a younger generation. It was that they just didn't respect them or their input or their mm. thoughts because the whole last 150 years of magazines has been like age equals experience, experience is everything. And uh, this new publisher was saying that the biggest thing that she and uh, the new editor implemented was the hierarchy needs to go. Obviously there's a hierarchy to some extent with like yeah, people yeah, have to yeah. sign off on things and people yeah. are the bosses, but she was like, we really try to foster an environment of a young 23 year old with blue hair from Dalston has as much to say and has opinions that are as important as the 64 year old Kensington being here for 40 years editor. Like the world no longer exists on this. That's so interesting. And you can kind of see that with who they choose to shoot for the covers, the photographers they choose to work with, the designers they decide to hero, the writers that they choose. It's really genuinely diverse in terms of like age, background, class, everything, because you can see that they're listening to the younger staff members. Mm. And I think that that's been a common kind of thing, especially in old school print media, is this view that you don't have anything to offer. (laughs) if you're younger and opinionated. And I think maybe like Alexandra Shulman is, is considered a kind of example of that. And therefore it's like no surprise that she considers like a young upstart media company that's like yeah. daring to go against the like yeah. status quo on stuff is really. And it's funny as well to me that um these magazine editors that used to fucking hate bloggers <laughs> are now penning these pieces being like, leave bloggers alone. I know. <laughs> I know. It's like you made their lives hell full circle before. Moment. Literally full circle. It's so yeah. funny. Yeah. Like that's the exact thing. It's like writing off bloggers and influencers and stuff and then now realizing how much you need them and like Facebook and stuff, putting money behind them now when they tried to like shut them out. I know. It's so funny. It's a new world. Okay. Bye ladies. Okay. We're going on Patreon. We're going over to Patreon now where we're going to talk about Mark Jacobs getting a facelift <laughs> yes. and the rise of Facetune culture. We're going to do a review of Lord's 73 questions on Vogue. We're going to do a deep dive on Carrie Bradshaw's new Sex and the City style. We're also going to go step by step through the Love is Blind reunion. So if you want to hear all of that, which you obviously do, head over to Patreon to get access to a whole second episode with all of that stuff. Bye. Bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.